Stephanie is here. To Give Bible bags to any of the children who might need them. The rest of us, let's take our Bibles and turn to John chapter 14. We return to the upper room discourse in these days of the Easter tide, these seven weeks of celebrating the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the upper room is uh, this wonderful uh, teaching of Christ, the last breath of, of his life as he uh, teaches his disciples. And it has very profound words. John 14, we're going to do 1 through 14. The whole section of the Upper Room Discourse is, is, uh, is longer than that. It's been about five years ago now when Willis and Loretta, who are Cheryl's mom and dad, both died within 24 hours of each other as pneumonia stole their breath. It was a very uh, difficult moment for all of us. One of my good friends uh, was pastor of our church there in Spring Arbor. I've known him for, for many years. And so he walked with us through the preparation as much as you can prepare for such a time of honor and such a, a great loss. But we had a little chapel service. And uh, the church there is, is huge. And they have a chapel about the third of the size of this With uh, that's kind of designed for these more intimate uh, moments in a family's life. And we were sitting there, uh, Cheryl and I and the boys and our families, and we were sitting there on the front row. And uh, I, was, I was, you know, grieving and, and in a place of contemplation. But when they rolled in two caskets and placed them between the front row and the altar... I, I was overwhelmed in a, in a just uh, uh, a moment. It seemed like the caskets had become, you know, 18-wheelers. They were just huge, and they were blocking the sun. And, and I was overwhelmed uh, with emotion and feeling. I looked around, and everybody else seemed to be taking it in stride. You know, the pastor was talking. Cheryl uh, got up and gave an amazing eulogy for her parents and what they had meant for her. But I still remember the pastor saying a statement, something like this, where he said that Lorita, who had passed uh, before uh, Willis did, that she had gotten on the heaven-bound train and that Willis had said, wait a minute, wait a minute, I want to go with her. And uh, that image of them going to a place together uh, made me realize that it wasn't so much the shadow of death that I was overwhelmed with as the profound reality that these two people who had prepared their whole life to go to the place that God had prepared for them was a place that would, for this moment at least, separate us so deeply. And I was overwhelmed by the sense that wondering where they're going and how they're getting there and what it's going to be like for them and, and what will be the place that God prepares for them and and those circumstances of life. So I understand the emotion of the disciples and the, when they're in the upper room that night. Uh, Jesus is trying to prepare them for his death. And he's talking to them very straightforward. And yet they're dwarfed uh, by that reality that death is not the end. And yet it's so final in this earthly journey. 
And I understand the confusion of their hearts and their minds and their sense of direction and why they needed the life and the truth and the way. We've all been there at, at various moments when we've said goodbye uh, to the people that we love and that we've, we've poured our hearts into. They and we simply want to know where are they going? What is this about? Where are we going when we have that last supper where we're with our closest friends the night before our passing or the day before our moment of, of death? Where will our place be? I love uh, Beekner. Beekner's one of my favorite authors. He's a wonderful Anglican uh, pastor and writer. And he describes this moment that we're going to read. We're going to read John's own first-person account, the eyewitness. He was there. Uh, and we're going to read what, what he has to say about Jesus as he was in that dark upper room and came close to the light of Jesus Christ. But this is the way Beekner describes it. He says, There in that shadowy room, the disciples turned to Jesus, who was their light, with greater urgency and passion than maybe ever before, because with all hell about to break loose, they had no other place to turn. They had drunk the wine he told them was his blood and put into their mouths the bread he told them was his body. And thus, with something of his courage in them, they asked him a question they had never risked asking so helplessly and directly before. It was Simon Peter who asked it, and what he said was, Lord, where are you going? As if he didn't know. As if he didn't know. As if you and I don't know both where he was going and where all of us are going to. He was going down the stairs and out the door. He was going into the night. He was going to pray in a garden to the God he called Father, not to let the awful thing happen to him that he knew was already happening. And the Gospels do not record that he got so much as a whisper in reply. He was going alone, and he was going against his will, and he was going scared half out of his wits. He sweated blood, is the way the Gospels put it. The Last Supper not only prefigures our own Last Suppers, wherever and whenever that will be, it also is our Last Supper. You cannot read the account of it without in some measure being there. And the table where he sits with his friends is our table. And as they drew close to the light of him, we too try to draw close as it may be in the last analysis, he is the one who is the nearest and dearest. This fifth Sunday of Easter, we're in the upper room. We're with our Lord. We're with our nearest and our dearest. And John describes what it was that he said at that last supper. 
We want to hear his words, not as the words to the disciples then, but the disciples now, to you and to me. So John chapter 14, we're going to start with the first verse, and we're going to go through the 14th. John says, as he records Jesus' words, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't even know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been with you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, in agreement with my will, and I will do it. Now keep that open before you, and let's pray. Father, we're so thankful that in this moment when Jesus is facing death and that Last Supper and that moment that all mortal beings face, that he gave us guidance, he gave us hope, he gave us a direction, he gave us a way and a truth, he gave us a life. And we would ask that each one of us, and in whatever we are in that relationship, to you and to our own mortal being, and that you would speak to us and you would help us find our place. And we will, of course, give you all praise and glory and honor. Amen. It's interesting in the moment of Jesus' own greatest struggle as he's facing this overwhelming experience of death that his focus is on the disciples, on us helping us understand what's happening. He just takes those last breaths and he says to us, I'm going to prepare a place for you. That when the time comes and each of you have your own last supper and you're sitting with your nearest and your dearest, I am going to be there. You're not going to go into a black abyss. I am going to come and be with you and take you 
to my father's house. I've always loved that image of the father's house, a room in my father's house, a place for me, prepared by Jesus, my Lord. Now, most scholars suggest that this is figurative language, the language of family and home and intimate fireside suppers, with our nearest and dearest, that it's language that describes the best experiences in this world to help us begin to understand the best experiences in the world to come. But I'm, I'm not so sure. The longer I live and the more I understand humanity, the more I read recent scholarship in the area of the new heaven and new earth and our understanding of what is to be, and the more I understand psychology and the basic way that we're created by God and even my own experience, I'm beginning to wonder if, in fact, Jesus doesn't mean it exactly the way he says it. If to be fully human is to be intimately a part of a family, and if belonging means we have a place designed for us by the one who designed us, and if the ultimate purpose is to love God with all our strength and mind and soul, to love him with all that we are, and then to love others and to love ourselves, then would it not make sense that that is the purpose of the eternal place, the place where we're going? And wouldn't it be called a home? Wouldn't it be called our Father's house? And wouldn't it make sense then that our purpose here would be to learn how to love in such a way that we belong to the family and we're a part of his people now just as we will be eternally and that there's not a difference in this world and that in any kind of real measurable sense for in fact the best is the best and God is a God of love. He's the creator of community, of family, of unity, of relationship. And wouldn't it at its core then be that life here and life to come will match? And so finding our place here would be to find our place there. Often when I'm studying the Gospel of John, and John is my favorite uh, gospel, and I've studied it many times with many different Bible studies. And as we read the words of Jesus, they seem almost riddle-like as he kind of seems to be leading them along and then not telling everything. And, and we get into long discussions about the ability to understand Jesus and to bear the truth as he's, as he's describing it. And what does it mean to, to have a relationship with a divine being who is in some way trying to communicate to such limited minds and limited experiences and we get into this so wonderful discussion of what it means to have a relationship with God. But I wonder if in this instance we've made it a riddle and more confusing than Jesus intended for it to be. That Jesus is simply saying in my father's house there's a room for you and I'm going to prepare it for you. I'll be there when you arrive. 
I'll keep the light on and I'll take care of you. Now that is about as straightforward as you can get. And if we take it straightforward, then the rest of Jesus' words in that upper room makes sense. The Christian life is not about a way. It's not about the truth that's out there somewhere in some kind of philosophical or theological uh, truth. It's not about life that does not have divine and eternal nature. It's about Jesus who is the way. He is truth. He is life. And to know Jesus is to know the Father and to know our place and to be able to be at peace and at rest in this house of God, this place of his presence. Another way of saying it is he formed us and he informs us and then he reforms us. And when we are in that ultimate form of who he created us to be, then he will have a place that is eternally formed just for us and the way that he created us. Now, it may be that in the new heaven and the new earth, houses look differently. I have no idea about that. But we won't be different. We will be created in the image of God and recreated into beings of love. And that, that seems to me to sum up the core of a home. And each one of us will fill our place in that new earth just as we are to fill our place in this earth and this family of God. And so the question then that we ask ourselves as we look to this promise, this amazing promise of Jesus, is am I prepared and am I preparing for the place that God formed me? To fill? Am I filling the place now for the place that God has created me to be informed and reformed me to fill this place? And then am I preparing for the place that Jesus has for me? Now if you say I'm not sure, I don't know exactly who I am or, or what makes me me then I encourage you to spend time with Jesus. Let him form you. Let him reform. Let him correct and change and transform. Be consistent in worship. Be faithful in prayer. Be attentive to scripture. Let your very thoughts be permeated by the word of God. Meet weekly in community where you belong to the family. Find and fill your place of service where your life makes a difference in the lives of others. Celebrate and rejoice God's amazing blessings. Spend time in solitude where you're able to listen to that still, small voice, the silence that speaks, that inner relationship with God. Now, of course, you'll recognize that I'm describing all the spiritual disciplines the ways that we connect with God the Almighty. 
And you know that as a disciple of Jesus Christ, as we spend time with him, as he forms and reforms us, that he will make us into a fruitful child of God. One who belongs in the Father's house because our very nature is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness where we have self-control now and throughout eternity. And it's out of that fruitful place because we've spent times being rooted in God that we then do the ministries that he's given us to do as we care for one another and bring compassion and hope and justice into a very grieving and needy world. The upper room has long been the place where we all find our place. It's a place where we sit at the table with Jesus and we take the bread and we take the wine. We take the presence and we take the courage. We take the place. This morning as you spend time and meditate on your place in God's family, let's each one be at home with God. Let's pray.